411Live. Well, you can learn about issues that affect us every day. Stay the world, 411Live. Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way. For your girl, 411Live. Family dynamics can be, well, challenging loving, and explosive. Have you ever thought about writing a book about some of your family members? I bet you're thinking about somebody in particular right now. Hello, I'm Beverly Taylor, and this is the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. My guest today has written a book. It's called It Takes a Village to Raise a Child. Um, Her name is Mrs. Ira Harris. Ms. Harris, thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. Um, I, the back cover of the book says she decided to write this book after experiencing difficulties with her loved ones. So that's a good teaser for us right there. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I have to applaud you for finishing this book. Um, you uh, talked to me and you said... Uh, Beverly, this is my first book. It has some writing flaws. It does, but it's the the characters in your story that I'm interested in. Okay. And um, it, there's a lot in here. You I mean you have elements: sex, drugs, alcohol, violence, and love. Yes. So you cover a lot in this book. Thank you. You talk about the different people and wanting to write the book because you're experiencing the difficulties. So let's talk about some of the family dynamic. Let's talk about the people in your village, okay? Yes. Uh, You start the book talking about Granny, your grandmother. Yes. She was instrumental in your life, wasn't she? Very. Yeah. How... When you think of Granny, what what is the biggest impact you think she had on you? The biggest impact she has right now to this day is instilling who God is, Mm. informing me as a child, age five or six, to get on my knees. And she taught me the Lord's Prayer. Now, I didn't learn it in one night. It took weekends, but I'll never forget it. She said, these are her words. Uh-huh. She said, baby, get on your knees. I'm going to teach you the Lord's Prayer. And I said, okay, big mama. We called her big mama. Mm-hmm. So I got on my knees, and she began to teach me the Lord's Prayer. And somewhere she, she paused, and when she paused, I said, big mama, who is God? She took her finger. Now, mind you, my grandmother is from Louisiana. Mm -hmm. She stands at least 5'11". She wore a size 11 shoe, 11 to 12. I know this because when I was old enough, I used to go to the post office and pick up her shoes. So when I look up up at my grandmother... It sort of scared me. So she took her finger and she said, don't you worry about who God is. You just you just study what I'm teaching you. And I said, okay, big mama, mm-hmm. just like that. And so right now to this day, 
just by her doing that and walking me through whatever she could throughout my life, I have that that spirit inside of me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And that's she means the world to me right, right. now to this day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about the uh, the parents' relationship, the relationship oh. between your mother and your father. Okay. Um, now, how did they meet and end up getting married? According to my grandmother, my grandmother told me, I think after I had my first child, we were into some kind of conversations, um, and I wanted to know about my dad. And my grandmother said they met in church. Now, I believe what my grandmother said right now to this day. I really don't know if it's true or not, but I do know my on my dad's side of the family, um, I can't call his name right now, but his church is here in Milwaukee on Port Washington and Keefe. That's his brother? That's his brother. Mm-hmm. As I got older, I, I visited there a couple of times, and some of the people that I met on his side of the family say, oh, your dad, he loved to read the Bible, and he loved to beat the, the leather off the tamarind. So anyway. So they met at church? Yeah, that's what my grandmother said. They, they met at church, and um, he was older, much older than my mom. I think my mom was 16 or 17. Oh, she's very young. Yeah, and he was in his late 20s. And from what my grandmother said, they used to go fishing all the time. Uh-huh. My grandmother, her husband, and my mom and the kids. So they used to go fishing all the time. And they met in church, and he wanted to take my mom fishing. And my mom ended up get, getting pregnant behind going fishing. Okay. So they wanted a different kind of fishing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I do know that they both was in church. Mm-hmm. So I know that's where, where all this sentimental and spiritualness inside of me comes from. Okay. Because it's in her background. So she got pregnant. That's what, but that's with your sister. The oldest girl. Yes. Okay. Yes. And my grandmother said they had moved to Kenosha. I don't know if I was born. I can't remember. They had moved to Kenosha after she had the the my oldest sister. Mm-hmm. And the story is my dad was a bruise in my mom. But somehow the neighbor knew my grandmother and called my grandmother and told her what was going on with my mom that my dad was locking, had locked her in the house, wouldn't let her do nothing. He can hear her screaming and stuff like that. So... Uh, my grandmother said she sent my mom's youngest sister over to Kenosha to 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 rescue my mom. Okay. And brought her back. Okay. So and I, the baby uh, and Liberty. I think, I think I your was, sister's Liberty. Her, her, oh. her, yeah, that's her nickname. Okay. So I, I believe I was born then. Okay. And then to continue that, she ended up my mother. I I remember this so clearly. My mom went to court for child support, or or either she got subpoenaed and had to go to court for whatever. Uh-huh. So it was me and my my oldest sister, and I know for a fact I wasn't no more than about this tall. Uh-huh. So I had to be about maybe seven or eight years old. And the courtroom was it was dark. The judge was a 
elderly white man, and we sat there for a while, and then he finally called my mom's name. I don't remember all the words, but what stuck in my mind was my dad crying to the judge saying, I can't support him because I'm taking care of my brother. And the judge dismissed the case. So he didn't have to pay child support? He didn't didn't even have to look after us, which he didn't. Wow. So you were young, and you remember that in court. Mm -hmm. But tell me about the the first time you really had an encounter with your dad. The very the first time I had an encounter with, with my dad was me, I was in, I was in a primary school, probably about the fourth or fifth grade. Me and my older sister, we would walk. I lived on 6th and Concordia. And we used to walk to school. Mm-hmm. My older sister said, Jeannie, there's our dad. I said, where? He said, right there, coming towards us. So um, she called his name, and right to this day, I don't know how she know him. We stood there. He stood there. We, you know, we said, hi, hey, Dad. Didn't give us a hug or nothing. So he stood there, and he talked to her. And he stood there like I wasn't even there. How'd that make you feel? <laughs> Uh, I can't even answer that. It hurt. Mm-hmm. It hurt. Yeah. It, when did you see him again? I, okay, so we went home. We told mom we seen dad, but he he gave us or liberty. He didn't give it to me. His address, which was um, right where the the black. Holocaust Museum is right now off of North Avenue. Mm-hmm. He lived in that area somewhere. Because mm-hmm. I remember walking to his house. He said, we could come by there and see him. So after I told mom, and he said, I have a garden. Your, your mom lo- loves greens and stuff like that. Come by there and get some greens for your mom. So I went, went by there the first time, and there was a picture on the TV of another girl that looked like Liberty. Come to find out. That was our older sister who lives in Chicago. That was a sister you didn't know about. Exactly. Yeah. And so that was it. I don't remember the conversations. I just remember that picture. I remember his his house. I remember his brother sitting in a wheelchair back off in the corner somewhere. So I didn't stay long. But I said, um, Big Mama brought me. Big Mama brought me an Easy Bake oven for Christmas. She bought me the top of the line Easy Bake. My grandmother didn't. She didn't. When it came to me, she bought me the best. So I said, my grandmother bought me an easy bake oven. I'm going to bake you a cake and bring it back. I think it was like a week or two, baked the cake, took it back, stand out there knocking on the door, knocking on the door. He gone. He done moved. The lady downstairs, now you ask me how did that feel about him standing there not talking to me. So he moved and you had no idea that he, he didn't let you know or nothing? I didn't see him again until I had my first baby, which was, a well, I think I had three then. So that's how long it been. Wow. Okay. So that's your dad. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's talk about Liberty, your sister. She's a card. <laughs> but you guys were cl- you guys were close. Yes. And you mentioned in the book that, you know, when, when you became teenagers, though— um, 
you became her enemy. You know, she kind of treated you that way. I became her enemy before we were teenagers. I really didn't know it, but um, just thinking back at all the things that she got into and wanted me to follow her, I didn't follow all the things she did. Um, we were on our way to school one morning, and there we lived in a back cottage, so we we get to the front of the house that was in front of our, our cottage, and there's money on the ground. Oh, Jeannie, look, there's some money on the ground. And, I, and you know, to make a long story short, she said, we're going, to, we're going to the candy store. We get home, my mom asked me, did she have any money? And I had to lie for her because I knew my mom was going to whoop her. So... Liberty stole that money from your mom. She she stole it from my mom, yes. Right. And I remember that um, she was uh, at a, like a store. Yes. And she stole money from the cash register. Yes. And you mentioned in the book, you you know, you were talking about the different characters in the book. And you were, you said with her, her kind of her, um, her vice, I guess I would say, was money. Yes. At a young, at an early age. At an early age. And that she got married <laughs> and had a child and ended up having to come back home. And then she hooked up with a guy much, much older than she was and went away and was at a strip club. Up north. Yeah. And then finally came back and then hooked up with another man much older than she was. And it sounds like this guy was actually a pimp. I remember, I can, I see him, his face right now today. He was a wannabe. He just found somebody vulnerable and weak and took advantage of her. So she became a prostitute. Um, seeing her, how did that affect you? It made me not want to do any of the things that she did. It just made me humble myself and stay, you know, just stay secluded mm -hmm. until a bombshell hit our house. Well, you know, I'm going to stop you right there and you tell me about that bombshell. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back and we'll talk more with Miss Ira Harris. Stay with us. You're listening to the 411 Live. Have you ever helped a fellow veteran? Of course. Yes. Have you ever asked for help yourself? Uh-huh. It's always tough, right? I always feel like I can solve my own problems, but eventually, you know, you just can't deal with it on your own. And you start to question, maybe people would be better off without me. When you realize that you're not alone, once you take that first step, there's so much support. When I was growing up, my mom was extremely tidy. We were trained to put things back where we got them from. One day, when I walked into my mom's house, I felt like I walked to someone else's house. There was stuff everywhere. And just growing up, the way I grew up, and to see this transition was very alarming. When Sean talked to me, it was a wake-up call, and that's when I went to the doctor. 
All right, we're back with uh, Ira Harris, who uh, wrote a book, It Takes a Village to Raise a Child, where she talks about some of the folks who uh, were in her village, some of the family members. We were talking about her sister, Libby, who took a wrong turn, you know, prostituted, strip clubs or whatever. But she eventually got her life together, didn't she? Or did she? She went through everything the prostitute and everything. She was about 15. So when she got her life together, when she really, really turned to God, she was in her uh, late 40s, early mm-hmm. 50s, which is good. I'm, I'm glad that mm-hmm. she changed her life around. But she still was devious towards me, though. It's the, <laughs> she she really was. And, and, and it, the only thing I can say about that is um, she was put into special ed. And I think that's that's what brought the resentment between right. me and her. But I still showed love. I, you know, like I said, I went over there. I saw the guy, the kid's father, you know, smack her around in front of me. I went home and told mom. Mom said, ain't nothing I can do because they didn't get married, you know. Right. So, yeah. Well, let's talk about mom. Okay. <laughs> because it, there was a part in there where you mentioned that when you were seven, your grandmother made you the lookout person for your mother due yes. to her illnesses. Mm. What, what were these illnesses? She was an alcoholic. Okay. I remember wearing a snowsuit. My mom sent me over to my grandmother's house on the bus. Still a little girl. I'm not even, I know I'm not 12. Mm-hmm. I know I'm not 10. So she puts me on the bus, go tell Big Mama, we don't have no food. That same year, I don't remember the year, my mom just began to drink a lot. Her drinking actually started after her, after the judge dismissed mm-hmm. my dad's case. Mm-hmm. She did get married again. My mom did get married again down the line, but she just wasn't happy with that. So. She never really recovered. No, and right now to this day, one of my younger sister and I, we had a, we have right now a division between us because she refused to accept the fact that I tried to tell her that I know my mom was a good mom. I remember her going backwards and forth to work. I remember her doing the good things she's supposed to do as a mom. But he had, I didn't figure it out to her, so years and years and years later, I had kids by then. We, she has a sister, almost the same age as the one, the, the, the she's she's in California, so she just agreed with me. She's trying to say that my mom was treat, cheating on on her dad because we have different dads. Okay. Okay. So, but I proved my point to her. This girl is just a year younger than you. So who was cheating on you? Who was cheating on who? You know, so anyway. She got a lot of family drama. I, I really do. <laughs> That's why I stayed to myself. <laughs> you, wrote, you wrote that you were afraid to leave your children with your mom. Because getting back to my mom. My mom, like I said, after those bad relationships, she turned to the alcohol. I remember days when I would would be so, I didn't know it was, uh, I would be so full of anxiety. I didn't know what it was then, but I was just so frustrated. I would go, wait till she wasn't nowhere around, and I'd take her bottles and I'd pour them out. I'd pour the alcohol out into the sink, 
And um, she told me, next time you, next time you do that, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna whip you behind. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't do anything. You know, I just, I just left it alone. And then it just got worse and worse and worse. At one oh. point, she stabbed your brother. Oh yeah, that was that was down the line. She, they, uh, my brother was also an alcoholic. Um, he was he moved in with my mom, and it probably was about some money. I'm at work, you know, trying to, you know, do my job, did a well job there. I know I did, but I get a call at work, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm sick of these calls. I'm sick of these calls. So I. Eventually, I had my daughters to try to intervene and help me because it became a, it it came so stressful. But but that's what did it when she when she stabbed my brother. It was when I get over there, it's just a little cut, but she did try to stab him. Right. But he must have blocked it. Right. Um, but you know, I I read your book and and I. I there are certain things like there's a there's an Aunt Rita who had seven kids. Yes. And she fatally shot. Uncle Joe, and had to go to prison. Um, and then there's an Uncle uh, Julius, who mm-hmm. was a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. And he was shot in the leg, and later he killed the man who shot him and had to serve 35 years, or 25 years in prison. Is he still in prison? No, he's deceased now. Okay. That, that was my fishing buddy. Oh, uh, that was when yours? He, okay. When he got out of jail, you know, because all his friends was gone about their business and got old and everything. Right. So... That was from that was my way to, to show him that I I appreciate what he taught me, what he taught me in life. Right. And so we we would go fishing, but um. Auntie Eve, that, I'll I'll give you her name. You you can find it. It's probably it's downtown somewhere. You right. can find it. But uh, but yes, she did. She shot those. And I was the weekend I was over by my grandmother's house, and I remember my grandmother, uh, just talking to God, you know, I remember her just talking out loud to God, and then my mom and her, you know, they had to go over there and get all the kids, and, you know, then my grandmother, she didn't have, all her kids was grown, so she ended up taking in all of these kids, and all every last one of them rebelled against her, they crawled through a vent between the, the living room and her bedroom, they went in, in a vent and stole the money, whatever they could get when they mm. got older, those, they were very, very bad. That's sad because um, one, Eve, okay, her name is Eve, the one that shot and killed the kid's father. She named one of her daughter after her. That daughter is deceased. I remember seeing her probably about six six years ago, um, and she had this trach in her neck because she was just alcohol, breakfast, alcohol, lunch, alcohol. So that seems to be a theme. Alcohol kind of runs in your family. Tell yes. me why why you wanted to write the book about your family and all of their their be- vices. Because I I wrote this book because I want people to see what they're doing to the family. People who are on drugs, people who are using alcohol, you know, you're not giving your child a chance. Mm-hmm. Your child is practically having to take care of you to the point to where, you know, for the boys, the boys will go and join gangs. So somewhere I'm trying to get people to see, teach your child about God. They have a better chance Knowing about God, 
and trying to live God's way than trying to live the world's way because the world is so corrupted. It's really, it's a lot of corruption out here. As I mentioned in the book, there's so many advertisements out here about alcohol. We have rappers, uh, Snoop Dogg and Sean John. I, for my youngest daughter, her and her husband, they do weddings. They do uh, repasses. They do birthday parties. They do graduations. And the big ones, the big parties that she has, she would call me and ask me, would I uh, come and assist and help out? I'd go, and I see these young kids old enough to buy drinks. They they want this alcohol because it comes in different flavors, and they want the one that Sean John and Snoop Dogg and everybody else is putting out. Celebrities are having an influence, in other words. Yeah. A big influence. Mm-hmm. But, but what are we doing? What are, what are we doing? I just came from the Alcohol Anonymous down on 74th and Greenfield. And I was really shocked to see God's name in there, the, mm-hmm. the information that they have. They, they're trying to let these alcoholics, these are, these are adults, let them know that you need to turn to God. God is the way. Mm-hmm. So, but who is helping the kids? Who, is, who are helping the, the young kids, the, the kids that's in 6th, 7th, 8th grade, that's drinking alcohol and smoking weed? Maybe I'm missing something, yeah. but I don't see it. Yeah. I, don't see, I don't see the government reaching out. Maybe one of my main points is they took it out of the school. They took the Lord's Prayer out of the school. Okay? Yeah. So why we don't have the information in the school? Gotcha. Another thing that you mentioned um, – that it's important, the storms of life are important because um, uh, a greater power is trying to get your attention. Mm-hmm. That's, do you think that's what's happened to you? It's been trying to get my attention. It's like ever since I was really old enough to know right from wrong, mm-hmm. when... I had to deal with the bombshell. I had a choice. But it was it was hard because I had three kids, and then I had to worry about what was going to happen to my two little sisters, my brother, and my mom. So I wanted to leave. I, I, I wanted to leave and just say the H with it. But... I had a love for my mom like I had for my grandmother. So during the struggle, I know I kept talking to God, but I didn't really, really know God like I know him now. Right. So you've learned a lot now looking back. Mm-hmm. Wow. Your book, again, I should say it is um, – Here's a copy of it here. It, it takes a village to raise a child. You mentioned the, the family members in your, in, you know, that have influenced you, uh, who've played a role in your life, and how you have overcome, really. Because there are a lot of times that you, you could have fallen into the pitfalls that some of them did, but you have not. So I, I, I did, but I... But I, you made it out. Yes. You made it out. Yes. So look, thank you. It, 
30 minutes already gone. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to say the best part in the book is my Auntie Tushi. Because we didn't speak about that, and I'm, I'm going to cut it. But that's the best part, because that's when when I heard the voice. It was her voice. She landed up in the hospital dying. And I heard her voice. I hadn't seen her in over a year. And I called my mom, asked my mom, you heard from your sister too? She said, didn't you know she's in intensive care? Nobody went to her rescue. But I did. I gave her the best going away she could ever have. That's nice. That's nice. Miss Harris, thank you. You're welcome. Appreciate your efforts here. And thank you for joining us for another episode of the 411 Live. We are a nonprofit organization, so if you're so inclined, go to our website, the411live.org, and help us out. We try to introduce community members, interesting things that are happening in the community, and we thank you for your support. Until next time, I'm Beverly Taylor, and this is the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. If you would like to check out past episodes, there are many ways. Go to your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Like and watch us on Facebook. Watch and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you have suggestions for future episodes, go to our website, the411live.org.